Hi there, and welcome to Barely a Podcast. Can you believe it? That's another two weeks gone of 2021, and we're one step closer to normality. Well, whatever your personal concept of normality may be. I have to apologise for the silence over the past week. Ironically, it's something we'll chat about in today's episode. But apart from my crippling social anxiety, I also started my very first jam. An animation jam, to be precise, hosted by the University of Edinburgh for students and alumni. It's called 10 by 10 by 21 and lasts 10 days. I'm sure you already figured that out. The aim of the jam is to create 10 works in 10 days. And seeing as I'm certainly no animator, I get the joys of providing soundtracks and composing original content to be animated. As you can imagine, it's a slightly crazy workload. Hence the executive decision to postpone last week's episode. Anyway, it's Monday, everyone's favourite day of the week, so I hope you have your coffee at the ready. I'm drinking a terrifyingly good, freshly ground Rwandan Sholi Natural from Taylor of Harrogate's Discover sub-brand. Quick aside, I met Tom from Discover at the Edinburgh Coffee Festival in 2019 and I kid you not, he is one of the most knowledgeable, friendly and altogether awesome coffee people I've ever met. Discover is a passionate, tiny project that is made with love. So let's bare our souls with today's very topical topic. Analog ephemera and digital depression. I was first registered clinically depressed in 2013, when several aspects of my life as I knew it had been turned upside down. I certainly wasn't new to the feeling. I had a short stint of therapy in my early teens, but it was a relief to get an actual diagnosis, rather than jump on the puberty bandwagon of feeling a bit down. I was given a prescription for antidepressants and sent on my way. Huzzah! I, like many others, lasted four months on the tablets. They weren't for me. But instead of going to the doctors and asking for something different, I went on my own because (laughs) I could totally handle it. Hindsight is a wonderful thing. To be fair, personally, things were going great. I was in love. I was at house parties almost on a weekly basis. Seriously, it was an awesome time. I got into uni I eventually managed to move out of my parents' house and share accommodation with one of my best friends and the aforementioned paramour. And that's when things didn't go my way. I was a loner at uni. I spent all my time commuting and trying to get back home instead of socialising. I ended up being dependent on that safe space and those safe people. I started self-sabotaging and two years into uni... Not even one year of living independently, I was back in my parents' house, socially crippled due to a feeling of complete and utter paranoia that my friends hated me and that my mere presence was a giant inconvenience to them. To this day, my friends will testify to my lack of communication, and it all stems from this life event. And don't get me wrong, this is entirely self-imposed. I can't even count how many times I was offered to come round for drinks, or come and enjoy legendary shitty games nights and all sorts of social activities. I just managed to weasel my way out. They'd enjoy it more without me, I told myself. And it didn't matter that before this, the people closest to me told me to see a doctor about my mental health. I was fine. I knew my own body and mind. Can you see where this is going? I had been kidding myself that I had beaten depression. And I wouldn't be one of the 50% of depression sufferers who relapse after a first episode, back when I was 13. 
or one of the 80% of sufferers who had an additional relapse, like when I was 17 and 18. It took me over four years to come to the self-realisation that I needed help. That was only two years ago. Half of the health professionals that I spoke to at the time were flabbergasted. But hey, when you kid yourself, you, you tend to do a good job. I guess this is my long-winded way of saying, depression sucks. And if you're like me, chances are you're stuck with it for a very long time. The good news, however, is that sometimes you can figure out when it's getting bad and do something to change it. And that, now that's where I always turn analogue. If someone asked me to stereotype myself, I get to say, hipster. You name that hipster trend and I probably conform, but don't worry, because I did it first. If you're ever on a video call with me, you'll get to see my imperial typewriter, inherited from my mum and refurbed by the last typewriter mechanic in Scotland. There are others, but they tend to stick to very specific models on the unit behind me. I have a burgeoning cassette collection to be played on my Walkman or my hi-fi system, and it complements my vinyls rather nicely. As a music maker, my studio is covered in vintage gear, just not the good stuff. My favourite synth isn't a synth, it's a sound module, an Emu Proteus 1 to be exact from the 80s, and it's played on a barely functional Cheetah MIDI keyboard from the 80s. If you're ever able to wade your way through my desk successfully enough, you'll find fountain pens, ink and good old-fashioned wooden pencils, complete with point guard and desktop pencil sharpener. Every once in a while, you might catch a glance of my Midori Traveler's Notebook, my Word Notebook Standard Memorandum, or my latest edition, an Atoma A5 Disc-Bound Notebook, which was lovingly repurposed as a wellness planner by my significant other for Christmas last year. In summation, I'm a hipster who loves analogue, and almost always shoots film. So let's break down today's topic, generously stolen from TJ Cosgrove of the brilliant 1857 podcast. Listen to it. Analogue solutions to a very digital enhanced depression. start off strong with implements. For as long as I can remember, I had a love of pens. I got my first fountain pen when I was around 10, and today I have at least 10 of varying quality and brands. I love them. I love the way the ink flows out of a perfectly ground nib, the sheen of certain inks on paper, the scratching sound of nib on paper. It's just magic. De pen ding on the type of pen you go for, you can customise it further with swappable nibs. So one time you use it with a Japanese fine point and question if the writing is even there. Then you can change it up with a 1.1 stub italic nib because you're feeling fancy. It's a rabbit hole that I would thoroughly recommend. Everyone should have a writing instrument synonymous with their person. My own synonymous pen? It's a tough one, but I think it boils down to my beloved Koweko Sport Brass. I have a love-hate relationship with the nib, which is fine, because it's a fountain pen. I can change it. But 
seeing as it's made of solid brass, it will survive whatever I throw at it. Or, more importantly, whatever my pockets throw at it. Sometimes, however, I do worry about making mistakes or needing guiding lines, or I just fancy having hands which are not completely saturated in ink. And for those times, you can't beat a trusty pencil. I'm new to the whole pencil game, but listening to 1857 and TJ's infectious love of the wooden devils, it it gave me a different lease on life. Nero's Notes, which is a lovely stationary web store based in the UK, has a crazy wide range of singles and multi-packs of every type of pencil. So I, I chose a few and eventually I settled on General Cedar Point pencils. They smell amazing, they're soft enough for a rich dark graphene line, but you can still write quite a few words before they need resharpening. Just watch out if you're a little clumsy with your palm or wrists, because they tend to smudge if you really give it laldy. I hear you screaming at your device, questioning what good pencils and pens are without anything to do with them. Well, I hate to say it, but that's where writing stuff down comes in. And I use several techniques, a few that I've fought against for a long time, on a daily, weekly, and sometimes, if I remember, a monthly basis. And I'm going to start with my favourite. The Mind Mosaic. Mind mosaics are the construct of Trina O'Gorman, and are a great way to clear your head and figure out what all those horribly complex and never-ending thoughts actually amount to, even when you don't have time for a full breakdown. The concept is actually really simple. You open your notebook to a new spread, and usually it makes a square, or a square-type shape. So you're going to divide the square into four, and you're ready to go. Starting at the top left, write a heading. The first thing that comes to your mind at that moment. For me, it's, it's usually something like social anxiety, or work, or inadequacy, or time, or communication. It can literally be anything. Then get writing. Fill out the first square. What about this heading is making you feel how you feel? Just keep going. When you run out of space, that's it. You're done. No more. It's not a lot. Now, all you have to do is spin the page anti-clockwise, rinse and repeat with the next square. Simple, right? It's helped me countless times. And that's because I really have to focus down on what part of a greater topic is causing me to feel a certain way, and hopefully give me ways that I can either avoid or eliminate them. That's quite handy knowledge to have. And let's face it, they look really cool for social media when you take it at a certain angle and people don't actually realise that you are bearing your soul. It's great! The physical act of writing with a pen or a pencil, it seems to be a type of catharsis for me. I'm using a tool which is leaving a mark on something tangible. My worries, my fears, my inadequacies flow through the writing implement from my stupid brain into the real world. And I can confront the real world. In theory. Next up in the proverbial toolbox is a good old-fashioned journal. And I'm going to come clean and say I have no idea how to journal. But to be honest, I think that's why journaling works. Nobody knows what they're actually doing when they do it. 
In my case, I was given a lovely hand-printed Atoma disc-bound notebook. Think ring binder, but without a spine, from my significant other, and inside was a wellness journal. Matt from the future here. Just want to clarify. Significant other at the moment, very much different person to Paramore mentioned earlier in the episode. You can check out Etsy for printables like I have, or you can just do the usual Google search and it'll come up with prompts or ideas, especially if you're kind of feeling artsy. Unlike me, I can't draw to save my life. And for me, the thing about journaling is the routine. Remembering to do stuff? That's not in my forte. At all. Ever. So getting into a routine of just jotting weird and wonderful or terrifying thoughts, it's hard. But I always feel better when I do it. When I'm writing on a several day low, I feel like I don't know who I am or what it means to be me. It's a horrible feeling. What do you enjoy doing? Dot dot dot. Eh? I don't know. What are your hobbies? Mm, I, I, I don't know. It goes on and on and on in this vicious cycle. But my wellness journal has helpful reminders of who I am, what I stand for, what's important to me. If you've ever seen Kipo and the Age of the Wonder Beasts on Netflix, my wellness journal is my anchor. It can help me revert back from being mega depressive to me. It's not a foolproof solution, but it does come in handy. It reminds me of my favourite audiobooks. It reminds me why I love tabletop role-playing games. It reminds me what my favourite movie is, what my favourite book is, what my favourite TV show, movie, these tiny little things that you just forget because your brain is flooded with these negative thoughts. Another very useful part of my journal is right at the beginning, and it's a self-care contract. I have, in no uncertain terms, signed a contract with myself stating that wherever possible I will not be bogged down by depression. I will look after myself, and the world is full of endless good possibilities if I let myself go after them. As I mentioned earlier in the episode, I'm a very prolific self-saboteur. So having this contract is a contingency plan for when I inevitably try, succeed, or fail in any form of self-sabotage. It doesn't have to be crazy. It doesn't have to be pages or twee. It can be something as simple as, I promise that I will take care of, invest, and believe in myself. I will not let depression get the better of me. I will fight back. I am not defined by depression. I am not going down helpless. I am not living the rest of my life as a shadow of my former self. I want the people in my life to see a positive change and a more present person. I want to discover new and exciting hobbies, skills, and knowledge. I want to live my life. I am enough. Don't forget to sign your name. Because otherwise, you do not have a legally or unlegally binding contract. Which brings me on to the final tool I'm going to talk about today, which 
is the gratitude journal. I fought against this one for a long, long time. And I don't know why. I guess it just sounded really... Shiny. Uh, Youthfully innocent and hopeful. Something like that. But for the new year, one of my resolutions was to start and keep up with one. So for this task, I treated myself. I specifically purchased a standard memorandum from Word Notebooks. Now, this is a titchy little notebook diary with maybe two lines per day. It is so small, so it's perfect for getting just a little bit of gratitude in. So that's great. Stage one. I have the analog ephemera, but what on earth do I have to be grateful for? My thoughts exactly. Yeah, much googling on gratitude journals was done. I felt stupid, naive, and insert all the previous statements as well. The first day I wrote in it, it was an experience. I tried to force all the negativity out of my head and write something I was grateful for. At the time, I was still reconfiguring my new home server after the previous one gave up the ghost with nary a whisper. So I thought about it, and the resulting entry in day one was... I'm grateful for my current server project and the knowledge I'm gaining whilst completing it. I'm not going to lie, it was a bit of a squeeze to get it in the standard memorandum, but that's besides the point. I thought of something to be grateful for that I'd never even considered. So let's move on to day two. Now that one was easy. I'm grateful for Zephyr. Zephyr's my cat. And that day, I, I still remember it. He just curled up and slept next to me most of the day. It made me feel warm and fuzzy and, believe it or not, happy. It was great. I just sat playing video games on the sofa with a cat. It's the dream. And the more I did my evening gratitude journaling, the happier I seemed to be the next morning. And I started to notice good things more often throughout the day, which in turn made the gratitude journaling easier. What? Am I talking about a a positive cycle? Mm, That sounds wrong for me. I say this because as of now, I have broken my New Year's resolution. I haven't written in my gratitude journal for about two weeks, and I'm not going to lie, they've been pretty bad. I have been a complete and utter social recluse. I mean, it's a tentative correlation at best. But I can tell you right now, I'm not seeing the positives as prolifically as... I had before. But that ends today. So, I promise to keep you up to date if the gratitude journaling seems to be making a difference. Now, that was a lot on analog ephemera, which I suppose leaves the digital depression part of this episode, which, let's face it, once again, it's a weird conglomeration of words. Digital depression. Digital, meaning available in electronic form, readable and manipulable by a computer and depression, a condition of general emotional dejection and withdrawal, sadness greater and more prolonged than that warranted by any objective reason. I briefly talked about my proclivity of being a social recluse, especially to those of whom I deem as friends. It's a wonderful world we live in, with instant messaging, impromptu video calls, and I'm not going to lie, it's the bane of my existence. I am constantly, on a daily basis, fighting myself. And I'm often questioned as to why I sound so grumpy and defensive. And you can imagine, it takes its toll. This constant battle, I'm very often mentally drained. But 
at the forefront of my mind, and the last thing I want to do is inconvenience or offend any of my friends or my family or anyone, really. So, when I get that dreaded ping from my phone or my laptop, my mind immediately goes to, not just now, reply when you're in a slightly better mental position. You know what happens next. Either I forget, not through malice, just genuine forgetfulness. Or something happens, like I have to make dinner, which inevitably takes longer than I intended to and is too late to reply. Yes, I know, that is an awful excuse. But I guess what I'm getting at is this vicious cycle, which seems to plague those of us with mental health issues. Constant pressure to be brilliant and available, when all we feel inside is that we're anything but. I particularly struggle when I see content creators, musicians, audio engineers, friends from uni who are brilliant and succeeding and have done 100% more than I have. They're, and I'm just so happy for them, even when they're not based in the field. But then I feel fake. I feel like a phony. And then, like a, like a turtle, I, I retreat into my shell, which in this analogy is my head. And the cycle repeats. It's difficult to break. You feel terrible for not answering messages or bailing from social events. And you just spend the rest of the day thinking about said messages and events rather than actually doing anything about them. It's bleak. But retreating instead to the analogue is akin to doing a hard reset. Take everything out of the digital and mental domains and go to town in the analogue and physical. Write some stuff, take some pictures where you need to slow down, pull on the film advance lever and twist the focus ring yourself. Grab half an hour in an evening and dust off the record player and go through the ritual of placing the vinyl gently, dropping the needle and listening to the organic crackles of physical music. Heck, feel the paper between your fingers in that novel you said you were going to read, but never have. Now's the time. Do it. You know what? Go to that desk drawer. Open your address book, or I suppose in this case Google Contacts, Calendar, wherever, and write someone a letter. Snail mail. Someone you haven't spoken to in ages, and if you don't have the address, reply to that message you've had sitting on your phone for a week, and completely innocently ask for their postal address. Tell them you're not going to murder them, and then ask them how they are and apologise for not replying. Then write them that letter. They're your friends. They understand. Olivia Newton-John, I think, said it best. Let's get physical, physical. And lastly, if you're one of the many people of whom I have yet to reply to in the past two weeks, or even longer, I am so sorry for sucking beyond belief. I'm working on it, I promise. So thank you for listening to this very intimate and actually quite weird episode of Barely a Podcast. Check out the show notes for links to Trina O'Gorman's Mind Mosaic Technique and all the social links. You'll find links to Nero's Notes, which is run by Stuart Lennon, one part of the amazing podcast, 1857, the other being the fabulous TJ Cosgrove. And I don't quite know how to describe it, apart from it's like chatting with your best friends about random things each week over some form of liquid. It's good. Also in the show notes, you can find links to the Animation Jam 10x10x21 and the works that are currently hosted on Vimeo. And finally, how could I forget, but a link to Discover by 
Taylors of Harrogate for all of your awesome coffee needs. I'm your hipster host, Matthew Harrison. Have an awesome week and get in touch with any of your analog techniques for handling the world when things get too digital. Next week, I'm going to go retro and have a look at a few of the video games which have made the lockdown situation a lot more bare and I'll be discussing some beautiful classics such as Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic, Fable 2, and some more recent titles such as Mass Effect Andromeda and Star Wars Fallen Jedi and probably a million more and it's going to be great. I'm going to be talking about narrative, story-driven games, mechanics, sound. But first, can you can you see a, a pattern to my favourite franchise? Probably. Have a fantastic week, drink coffee, and be merry. I'll catch you flip side. Thank you.